Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to the Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by the Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi, CEO and founder, and I am honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through paying it forward and giving back. Ethical business owners and holistic healers who are determined to create collective change in the world. Once we have a change in consciousness and through collective change, we can become one. When I stumbled across my next guest, I knew that it was yet another example of how there are no coincidences. And I think on some levels, I'll be hard pushed to find a greater spiritual alignment in these discussions. Betty J. Kovacs, PhD, earned her doctorate from the University of California in Comparative Literature and Theory of Symbolic Mythic Language. She taught literature, writing, and symbolic mythic language for 25 years. She served many years as chair and program chair on the board of directors of the Jung Society of Claremont in California and sits on the academic advisory board of Forever Family Foundation. Dr. Kovacs is author of Merchants of Light, The Consciousness That Is Changing the World, winner of the Nautilus Silver Book Award. She has also written The Miracle of Death, There Is Nothing But Life. I found my time with Betty absolutely fascinating when we dove into the synchronicities of our lives and the visions and messages we receive. I hope you gain some enlightenment from listening to Betty's story. Welcome, Betty, to The Ethical Evolution. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, uh, for people who don't know you, can you tell us who you are and what you do? Well, it's difficult to explain who we are, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) But I think that I could probably do that best by saying what has driven me all my life. Mm -hmm. And that is that I was born into the Western world, as millions of us were. And that and that meant I was born into a worldview that there's nothing but matter. There's no meaning, no purpose. We're a fluke of nature. And when we're dead, that's it. That's Mm -hmm. the end of the game. And in growing up with that, I I constantly had this horrible sense of emptiness. 
And I kept thinking there's surely more than that. But after all, if you have science, mm. <laughs> you know, that's the authority. And but I, I really didn't. There's something deep in me that couldn't accept that. But I had no information. Then there was another worldview from organized religion that said, oh, no, there's a world uh, of love and beauty and continuation of consciousness. But I had to believe what someone else said was true. These organized religions were not based on initiating my own inner experience. So that was my problem. And the only way I could really pursue an answer was to go to university. And of course, there I, I had the materialistic worldview uh, enforced, you might say. And if you were intelligent at all, of course, you went along with that. But I just couldn't accept it. And so I would say that most of my life has been uh, a pursuit of my own understanding of the world. And I did that by studying science. And I mean, I'm not a scientist, but I did the best I could with it. And, and religions and spiritual traditions that also took me to South America twice to study with shamans. But ultimately, it was the deaths in my family mm -hmm. that opened me up. Uh, far more than had happened before through even shamanic practices. But it was these deaths that uh, just cracked open <laughs> the world. And my visionary life really began intensely at that point so that I could experience for myself. Yeah, and I'm absolutely fascinated by um, shamanic um, traditions and, and their beliefs and all of that. Um, because when you compare it to, you know, traditional religions, um, it, it is a very holistic uh, kind of view, isn't it? Like they, they take into account, you know, um, nature and, and, and everything um, rather than just this set of beliefs. Um yeah, I find it really fascinating. Did, what did you get out of the, uh, studying that? Well, you know, first of all, yes, that exactly what you say is what appealed to me. First of all, there is no set of beliefs mm. or doctrines. Mm. And the universe is so vast, they say, that each of us experiences a part of it. Mm. But they also, it does seem as though we certainly experience those organizing principles in the universe that are organized so that we can evolve in a way that we can all evolve and understand that we are all one, that mm. there's one mind. <laughs> and I love the ethical change that you have in your program because it is the most ethical experience when we experience these principles because, of course, they activate the heart consciousness and we realize the true nature, you might say, of the universe and that it is structured in such a way that there is the blueprint within us to evolve. And we realize if I do harm to you, I have really done harm to myself. That's it. So yeah, the ethical way of life is an absolute natural once we catch on yeah. that, yes, we're all one in this and that we receive that loving universe through the heart consciousness. Yeah. And well, perfect alignment for us, isn't it? You know, <laughs> with the, the, <laughs> the mission of what I do and what you also do. So um, perfect alignment. Um, now, you've got a couple of books out, don't you? Can you tell us about those? Yes, the first book was written after the deaths in my family. 
Uh, my mother uh, was killed in an automobile accident uh, in 1990. And the next year, uh, my son, our only child, was killed in a second automobile accident. Wow. And he was in a trauma center for 13 days. And strangely, one of those synchronistic events was that on the day that my mother had died, the year before, that very day, and that same hour, uh, the doctor said, we will take him off of the machines because he won't make it. And it was exactly same day, same hour as my mother the year before. Wow. Then two years and four months later, my husband Ishtvan was in his home country, Hungary, uh, to visit his family. And he was killed in a third automobile accident. Oh, why? So it was, uh, but the wonderful thing about all of this was that I had done the shamanic training and I had started having experiences of my own. My husband had not, he was a businessman and he, he was kind <laughs> and uh, was respectful of me, but it wasn't his interest. But two weeks before uh, our son was killed, he saw the accident. He was in his office here at home and he saw Pishti, our son's car, off the side of the freeway, and he saw our son's body superimposed on it, and he knew he was dead because it was two different dimensions, one superimposed on the other. And he said, oh, oh, that's right. It's almost time for you to do this. And that startled him so badly. Wow. Where did that come from? He thought. And then our son said, that's right, Dad. I'll be out of the house for a little while. Then he became totally unconscious until the call came from the hospital. We happened to both be here that afternoon, which was unusual. Mm. And then it came back, but he didn't tell me until later. But at any rate, there were his visions began. I realized two years before our son's death, I had been dreaming of his death, but I looked at it in a symbolic way. So this book, uh, it's the miracle of death. There is nothing but life is a, uh, is about the experiences that we had. We recorded them immediately. Mm. And so I tried to be very, very accurate in my reporting of all of these visions with our son after his death. And that changed me forever. And it did my husband too. I mean, mm. he was really changed man uh, because he had had no idea. In fact, he said to me, I had no idea what you were talking about, but I will never look at the earth in the same way again. Wow, that is. So that's the first book. That's the first book, yeah. And uh, what, and what was your second one? Yeah, the second one. Uh, the second one. Then I continued my research about these kinds of experiences, and I wanted to know what about our ancestors? What was their experience? I had studied religions, but I wanted to know about the actual spiritual tradition of of the shamans in our past, and so. Uh, the book Merchants of Light, The Consciousness That is Changing the World, really is a historical presentation of the earliest shamanic activity. Uh, of course, it all happened uh, very spontaneously around the world, around 40,000 BCE. So I take uh, the, the uh, journey from the cave cultures all the way through quite a few very profound shamanic, mystic, and in some cases, scientific cultures. And this was our natural development in a very natural way. But sometimes it was history that destroyed them, just mm. things that happened. But 
most of the time it was either uh, politics, the state, or the church, mm. organized religion that did not want that taking place. Here people were actually experiencing for themselves the realities in the universe, and that was not to be, so they were destroyed again and again. But the thing that I realized is that in uh, European history, they came back four times. There were four periods of Renaissance in which these shamanic traditions re-emerged and ignited consciousness. And it was the fifth time as today. But uh, so I tell all of that in the book, how each Renaissance period was actually the re-emergence of that shamanic tradition. So that's the second book, uh, Merchants of Light, the consciousness that is changing the world. Wow. Um, Got to read those because it sounds absolutely fascinating. Um, And isn't it interesting, um, you know, I'm noticing um, through through doing this podcast and and speaking to so many people around the world that um, there is an evolution happening um, and whether it be ethical, whether it be spiritual, uh, there is an evolution happening. I think some of us are starting to wake up and realise there's more to this than what we thought. Are you finding that? Oh, absolutely. And that's why I have said that this is the fifth renaissance in Western history, mm. is that, that these shamanic cultures, I was so amazed when I started doing deeper research than I had been able to do when I was teaching, is that in the 20th century, scholars unconnected to each other had discovered these cultures mm. that we didn't even know about. And the depth of their spirituality and their ability to trigger altered states of consciousness, cosmic or Christ consciousness. It it was so amazing to me to realize that these cultures had existed. Well, isn't it a rather synchronistic that they, so many were discovered in the 20th century. And I think also in the 20th century, we have quantum physics, Mm. which completely shows that the old worldview is inaccurate. Mm. And that is so important for us to have a history, a, a science that is worthy of the universe, or at least it's beginning to be, because it recognizes many dimensions of reality or the quantum field or the one mind, or that consciousness creates the universe. And when the matter is no longer, consciousness that created it continues to exist. So all of this happened in the 20th century. And So yes, I think that there is a tremendous uh, awakening happening. And at the same time, we have some of the darkest forces within Mm. ourselves, our species, that would like to always, when we don't go inward, we want to control the outer world. And so there always is that, in the undeveloped, I would say, there is that necessity to control others and I think that's very strong right now around the world and we have to recognize it for what it is but we have to so it's so important that we know we have the power we have that inner power to deal with that illness within our species look Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. 
They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, just um, when you were telling me about, um, you know, the the visions and and the synchronicity um, in what happened in your life, um, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, for me every day it just becomes crystal clear that, you know, there are no coincidences. You know, the universe has everything planned out exactly as it's meant to happen. And (laughs) yeah, yeah, like, and even the bad things that we see happening around the world, they're all, they're all necessary. They're all there for a purpose. And, um, and it's just something I I really want to shed more light on for people because, uh, you know, unless you're awake to it, you just don't see it. And I I just find it absolutely fascinating when things happen, you go, oh, yep, that was meant to happen, you know, so... (laughs) Well, and you see the synchronicity of it. And it's so funny that after my husband died, I had also visions with him. And uh, I had tried to uh, complete Merchants of Light much earlier. And Kim, you've talked with Kim, Mm. (laughs) my editor and publisher. It it was, we tried to do everything. We thought that book was going to be out much earlier, but it came out exactly at the right time. Mm. And we were able to uh, launch it in the UK and when we came back, it was, we were really discovering about the virus and the shutdown and so on. But my book is, I had, well, there were several visions that really inspired the book. And that is uh, uh, a vision of my husband's in which he was, uh, he was talked to by our son about the decay that we needed to work on what had decayed. As a matter of fact, he told him to look up a particular hexagram. And when he looked that up, it was 18 working on what has decayed. And so after I finished the first book, I thought, okay, I'm going to throw the I Ching and just see, because I I knew I wanted to work on this, but I didn't exactly know what path to take. And so I threw the I Ching, I got exactly the same thing, 18, work on what has decayed. So I realized all the way through that this is a time when we are becoming conscious and must become conscious of the decay that has been brought about in the world by our not going inward and discovering that we are Christ, we have the potential, we are divine, if we allow ourselves to become that. Uh, and that might seem strange to say, but I love that Jesus in the Nag Hammadi text said, I am not your master. When you drink from my lips, you and I are one. Mm. And the Nag Hammadi Jesus made it very clear that he wanted us to remember who we are. He didn't come to die for sins. No, he came to awaken us to who we are, that we are not to follow him, but to become the Christ. And I think when when we realize that everything changes. Yeah, so true. Um, just going back um, to what you recounted in your, your first book and, and, you know, with people passing away, um, can you shed a bit of light for us on um, life after death and what experiences you've had there? I, from a personal uh, point of view, I could certainly say that both my husband and I and Pishti's girlfriend experienced him after his death. And her experiences really did help her. She was 19 and he was 20. And so her experiences helped her very much. Uh, Ishvan and I had profound experiences in which, first of all, Pishti wanted us to remember uh, that why we had chosen to come at this time, to remember that consciousness continues 
and how, how incredibly misguided we have become with a worldview that didn't understand that. And so he wanted us to remember that. And then our conversations were about what the world was going through at this time and how the earth was attempting to give birth to a vaster consciousness. And so that would, my personal experience was that. Of course, it was also healing to, to, to be with our son actually and realize what he was working on. And I think this is our heritage. This is the way it should be. It shouldn't be that when someone dies, we feel that we've lost them and we can't know what's going on. Of course we should know, and that heals us. And so I was so grateful to have that experience because it changed everything. Now, the Sufis, for example, uh, have worked very diligently to be able to enter uh, this subtle world or spirit world. And they are even called the, the cartographers of that world because they have, have actually traveled in the many dimensions of that world. I think of Jesus saying, in my house are many mansions, in my father's house are many mansions. There are many aspects to it and people who have died and have been able to get in contact with people have talked about uh, the many dimensions of the other world, but there's no question that consciousness survives. And they would say, they teach us that uh, through the heart, through the organ of soul, the heart, we can be in touch with that world. And that everything that is created here exists in that world. And when the matter no longer exists, it continues to exist in the subtle world. So the Sufis knew long ago that consciousness continues and that we continue to create at, at, uh, in a way that we have achieved uh, an ability here to do so. And, and there are so many people working with us both here and on the other side to help us to create the worlds that we long for. Yeah, and I think um, it can really help people to look at death a different way, particularly, uh, you know, if they've lost someone that they really love. It's it's having that separation between the physical and, and the consciousness um, and understanding that they'll always be there, regardless yeah. of whatever form. Yes, and it's so hard because mm. even I know people who know very well that consciousness continues and that the person they love who passed into the other world is still alive, mm. but they can't deal with that separation of not being in the physical world together. Mm. Uh, I think that we can do that better when we have the visionary experience with them, then we can. And I think of the poet, German poet Rilke saying that the organs with which we could have perceived them have atrophied because our culture said there was nothing to perceive. There's nothing there. It's all mm. nothing. And so we, we, we have atrophied organs, I think. And I think that's one of the most important things we can do today. First of all, just as we are talking about it, telling our stories, and then developing techniques so that we can experience the people we love once they have stepped out of the material world, because that way we can survive. We, can we have to recreate a world without them, but we can do that better if we know they're in the other world working with us. Mm. And, and what would you recommend to people to, to 
develop that connection and get those uh, visions? You know, uh, I wish I had (laughs) some real magic uh, (laughs) secrets to tell. I think that, first of all, as I've said, it's our heritage. We all have the organ of soul, as the Sufi said, the heart. And there are probably many techniques, certainly that our ancestors had, of dancing, of chanting, using sacred plants that was used for tens of thousands of years. And I think, isn't that interesting that sacred plants existed on the planet and that that helped us to, that our relationship with Mm. the plant Mm. would help us to be in contact with. It's again, a relationship with nature that we can have a vision, but there, I think that we need to remember those techniques and we need also to develop new ones. Uh, And certainly every single one of us can be in a place where we focus on our heart and on the people we love. And just with that openness of heart and and breathing, we can take ourselves into a coherent state. And heart math has done so much scientific research on that. And people can get in touch with that organization, heart math. And you can even buy a little device that I think you clip to your finger or your ear. And you just breathe deeply and you begin to realize, oh, I'm coherent. That means all systems working together. Mm. <laughs> we have not done because we've said there's nothing but the rational mind and we've cut ourselves off from the symbolic brain and the heart. And so this is a way of kind of, even with a little device, which our culture culture loves, you can kind of watch, but you can kind of know it if you don't have that. Just to breathe deeply and focus on the heart and on, on the love that we've experienced in our lives and are experiencing and our relationship to nature. It's that I think is simple and all of us can do it. But I also think that together, we're going to develop techniques that work and, and we don't have to wait a lifetime for them to work. <laughs> you know, This, I think, is a necessity of our age to reinvigorate those atrophied <laughs> organs <laughs> and, and get them uh, working again. Yeah, so it's it's really um, our time to shine, isn't it? Like, uh, I know you've been talking about ancestral, uh, you know, um, oh, it's almost like a degradation over time, isn't it, where the, they lose that connection with spirit and, and the greater consciousness. And, you know, as generations go on, it, it becomes even weaker. And I think, you know, this is our time to step up and actually take ownership of that. Yes, and when we think of, indigenous people Mm. in Australia or around the world, many of them have been able to keep that connection, but it's very hard Mm. because uh, Western culture has gone all around the world making fun of and criticizing and, and in our ignorance, not knowing that we're destroying the very heart of ourselves. Mm. But I, I do think that, that the respect if we can learn to respect others and allow them to teach us, you know, that I know my husband had a vision in which his early vision actually with our son, but he said that he, he was in nature and he had a sense of respect, but he said, it's nothing like I ever experienced before. It was respect for everything, everyone, for every blade of grass. And he said, I realized that 
everything became sacred because mm. I, I could see it with this respect. And I realized that love grows out of that respect. And it reminded me of indigenous people talking to the plants and asking permission, that deep respect for everything in nature and every himself and everyone else. You know, if when that when we can begin to have that feeling, then we can only behave ethically, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Ima- imagine a world like that, huh? Imagine that. I know. <laughs> no, and it, it seems our ancestors had insight into that. <laughs> and, I, you know, if we tap into that, I just, it, it is such a beautiful feeling, you know, um, to, to tap into that, that sacred um, connection with everything. You know, we've become so flippant with everything in our lives, you know, right down to the blades of grass um, that we've just lost connection with everything. And, you know, this year through the pandemic, um, you know, I'm, I'm seeing so many trends bubble up through the conversations I'm having around the world. And, and one of the things that um, I think has really come to light this year is that we're finally understanding what matters. Mm. Through the pandemic, we're also finding that when we let go of judgment and find love, that's really where we come together as one. Yes, because we realise that judgment doesn't mean a thing. No. You know, (laughs) that what is so important to us is uh, to be able to love to be with people we love and and all of the things that all of those surface things that western culture Mm. had constructed to take our attention away from what is important Mm. you know it's and when we see now i see in this country so many millions of people who are living in poverty who are hungry and 17 million children who are hungry and then being evicted. I mean, when we begin to see that, I mean, I, of course, was born in the Great Depression. (laughs) You know, I heard those stories from my parents for sure. And I didn't feel it as a child, but I heard the stories of that. But I also heard about how people helped each other. I remember people coming to the back door Mm. and my mother would always give some food. But you begin to, to realize that in this case, I'm not I am not hit by that, mm. but but it it is my that it's for us to to grieve that people are going through that. But it's also wonderful to see how many people are helping others, mm. you know, then, and having places where they can get food. Yeah, uh, and it it just boggles my mind that you know we're now in twenty twenty one. And this kind of stuff is still going on in, in our Western world, you know, like we're, we're yeah. smart people. What the hell's going on, you know, like and we can't get out of our own way to see another person is exactly the same as us, like if, if we could just put our feet in their shoes. Yes, yes, and I think many of us can. I think that the effect of a worldview in which we're nothing. Mm. And so, well, let me get what I can out of it while mm. I am alive. That there are many people who are in that place. And I think of them as very wounded people. Mm. But when we, if we follow the money, in a case like this, we can see that money has shifted dramatically from the middle class to the 1%. Trillions of dollars mm. have gone to billionaires. Something wrong with that organization. And I think as we 
wake up, we see it as our work to be conscious of that and, and see that people who want to snatch and grab and control us uh, ultimately have been deeply wounded. Mm. And, and if they had gone inward, they wouldn't need that in the outer world. If we can understand them and also be smart enough to reorganize (laughs) so that that does not happen. Mm. But we have to recognize that. And, you know, I, I think it's so important to say that when that shaman mystics were also scientists, the most natural thing in the world is when we experience another world is that we want to understand how does that work? How does, what about nature? How does it all work? So, Many of them were scientists. We now know that the Egyptian culture had a very profound science. Mm. And one of the Renaissance periods of the shaman mystic scientist was in 1600 in Europe, what is called the Rosicrucian Enlightenment. Uh, But the church stopped that. I mean, in 20 years, they caught what was going on, and that was over. And their manuscripts, their research was destroyed or taken to the Vatican. And many of those people working together had to kind of tuck tail and go home. And a few years later, the Royal Society for Science in in England was developed. They knew that they could not study anything about the inner world or consciousness because they would be killed. Mm -hmm. And this is the influence of the church, which is supposed to be about spirit. But we can't blame the scientists that we have a material science. They could not do anything else and live. And we've come full circle in the 20th century with quantum physics is that they couldn't go any further in science unless they went inward. So, but that is, we are paying a huge price, a huge price for that nothingness and the materiality. And we have a group of people within our species who've been tremendously damaged by that. Mm. And money and power are what they are substituting for the inner empowerment. Yeah, and to, to live a life that way, wow, it's um, such an empty, um, meaningless um, way, isn't it, really? It, it is, and it allows us to think, uh, well, let's just put a few chips in our head and uh, make ourselves uh, worthy. <laughs> mm. But uh, I think that there can be some real danger in that kind of, that, that particular path in artificial intelligence, because It's not understanding that we have the power to be in touch with the quantum field. I mean, we are just beginning to realize the Mm. power that we could have. And far beyond anything that AI could give us, I think it could work as a partner, but not unless the who we are is known and experienced. And we've got a way to go with that. Yeah, there's still so much to explore, isn't there? Oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Now, Betty, I'm curious um, to ask you this question because um, there is no wrong answer. Can you define for us what being ethical means to you? <laughs> yeah, well, I think that, as I said before, once we have the experience that we're not separate individuals, mm. that we are one mind playing wonderfully individual roles and in creating uh, our own worlds, but we can only really create if we co-create. And I think once we understand the oneness of it all, then we know we better be ethical. <laughs> Otherwise, not, no one's going to play with us. Yeah. You know? We won't have a game to play. And so I think it is 
behaving in a way that nurtures my growth and development and others, the growth and development of those around me with whom I'm in touch. So it's, it's keeping a focus on what is nurturing to each of us. Oh, I and love once that. we know that, we'll want to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, well, what everything you're saying all comes back to my mission, um, you know, and how I describe that. And it just, it's blowing my mind. Um, so um, what are you working on at the moment, Betty? Are, are there any more books in the works or what are, you, what are your plans for this year? Well, I just, of course, finished last year at Merchants of Light, uh, the consciousness that is changing the world. And I'm really hoping to, uh, I really want to tell as many people as possible about our history, who we naturally uh, attempt to become when we're not suppressed, that it is in our nature to develop all of the aspects, all of the components of the brain and connect them with heart, the heart, and live in that way. And our ancestors wanted us to know, and they left this heritage in so many places and in so many ways that they wanted us to know that we're immortal. They knew that. They wanted us to know that. And they wanted us also to know that we're divine. Everything that is, is one, and it's divine. Everything in the Big Bang is divine. And we're all in our process of becoming. And we are also creators. So that was what they wanted us to know. And that would be what I would want to tell people that our ancestors knew and wanted us to know. And I want myself to know that, uh, that and I do know that now. Uh, and I try to, I want to understand it better every day and to create in harmony with, with that great field of love. Uh, and I think we're learning how to do it better <laughs> and better. So this year you're really going to be uh, spreading the word then? I think, you know, I'm, I was thinking of people are so many different things. I'm just a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I taught uh, on the college level for many years, and I taught uh, myth and symbolic language, fairy tale, because these literary structures are actually organized by these inner organizing principles of our evolution. And so I was learning, the students were learning. We had a great time. This was in the 60s and 70s. And we were just learning together and having a great time. And I love to do that. I love to, whatever I discover, I want to tell someone else. Yeah. And so I want to get this year, and I don't know how long, I do want to, uh, I hope people read the book because I, I took 16 years in researching and writing it and trying to express it in a way that would be understandable of who we are and what our potential is. And for example, one thing that I learned uh, was that in uh, the Kalahari Desert, the San Bushmen actually had experienced cosmic consciousness. They knew how to do it. And we didn't, we looked down on people who lived in the desert with no possessions. We had no idea that the San Bushmen had a deep and profound spiritual tradition and that they they say they've been at that for 60,000 years. Archaeologists and anthropologists only know maybe 35,000 years. I think they may have been before the cave cultures. Mm. But uh, there was a, an American who actually, through a vision, had contact with them. And through him, uh, Bradford Keeney, we know that they actually 
constantly dance and together to achieve this higher state of consciousness. And when Bradford Keeley told them that in India, people sit alone to achieve this consciousness, they thought, oh no, not alone. I mean, their whole idea was this is communal. Mm. We touch, we hold, we dance together and we experience this Christ consciousness. They wouldn't call it that, but it's this consciousness of the cosmos. I didn't know that before. And that was a wonderful thing to know that uh, given uh, just if we could go our own way, we would find this mm. if we're not suppressed. And Western culture is a result of a profound suppression and repression of what we are potentially able to be. Oh, wow. Just it blows my mind. Um, you know, <laughs> I could just sit and talk to you all day. Um, now, Betty... Um, if people want to find out more about you and they want to get a hold of your books, where can they go? Well, they can, they can get the books from any bookstore that sells or place that sells books and ebooks, but they can also get it from Kamlak, uh, K-A-M-L-A-K dot com. That name also came from a vision, <laughs> but it? It, it, Kamlak Center and Kimberly Saavedra, uh, who is my publisher, is also the director of that center. So they could go to that center to order the books. And there's also a sample chapter that of from merchants that she will send out, if you would just like that. Yeah. Um, so camlak.com, uh, is that right? Yes, K-A-M-L-A-K. And notice that the two middle letters, M-L, Merchants of Light. Ah. I didn't know that when we formed it. I was in a vision that they that I was being told that was the right name. And look at ML. And the first is Ka, which is breathing out, and Ah, coming back in. And in the middle is the merchants, or they're also miracle lovers or masters of life, masters of love. So I feel that I've worked with those entities in the spirit world, and, and, and they even got the title <laughs> of the company. See, nothing's ever what it seems, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it, yes. <laughs> you know, and we've been talking about visions and, um, you know, anybody who's listened to this podcast um, or has worked with Ethical Change Agency would know that the whole mission behind what I do and, and the, the vision um, for where we're headed um, all came from a vision. Um, so um, I had a vision of a uh, a premises that um, basically had a, a recording studio, a video studio. Um, it had all these consulting rooms and, you know, where people <laughs> who were ethical business owners or holistic healers could come in and create content or consult and then uh, go on their merry way. Um, and it, it was global. It could be wherever they are. And in the vision I saw um, a neon sign and it was the brand um, on, the, on the wall and there was an A with a circle around it, um, like a, you know, like a, you can see it on the wall. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yeah. so I created the brand from the vision. Oh, that's so un incredible. <laughs> I mean, and well, that's just incredible and beautiful. And mm. we know we're in harmony with that other dimension when that happens, don't we? It's, and every one of us has. We've come for a purpose. Mm. We have something in us to give to the world, mm. and it's getting in touch with it like that. That's beautiful. And I think it's it's not having the fear, and it's it's allowing it to come through. I think is the thing that you really need to do because it got down to a granularity that I'd I'd drawn out a floor plan 
in detail <laughs> and yeah. had, had a team and everything. And just, um, you know, uh, this week um, I was talking to a friend and who I'd originally shared the vision with and I realised that the next step of the vision had already happened. And I just went, oh, okay, that happened. <laughs> so, um, you know, I just, I think we really have to pay attention to that kind of stuff because it can change your whole life. Oh, it can. Mm. And we've been taught to ridicule it, don't mm. pay attention. Or, for instance, this, this knowledge from the quantum field, from the other field, comes to us through the heart. And so that's intuition. We may not know the logical process of getting to that, but when we have that deep intuition, that is that consciousness coming to us. And people have made fun of it for generations. That's just women's intuition. <laughs> and don't pay attention to that. Just give us the facts. So we've been trained. We've been brainwashed. Do ignore that. Do not pay attention to it. And now we're awakening to it's exactly what I should pay attention to. Mm, yeah, and to the point now where I actually get messages and they're actually for other people. So I'll, mm. I'll share it with them and they'll be just like, how did you know that? Or, well, I need to use that. Or, you know, and I'm just like, it comes through and I'm like, well, that's for you. Do what you will. <laughs> <laughs> that is really, really wonderful. It's very cool. So it, it makes my life a lot easier, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know you're in harmony. Mm. With mm. that creative force. Mm. Yeah, and oh, I wouldn't change it for anything, to be honest with no. you. Oh, no. Mm. No, we don't want that other life. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, Betty, I've got the last big question for you, and I'm, oh, I can't wait to hear your answer. What's the change you'd like to see in the world, and how can we bring it to life? Yes, well, I think the changes that we're talking about, the changes you've gone through and that I've mm. gone through, <laughs> and the coming to awareness that there is an evolutionary principle at work in each of us and in the world, that our planet has a purpose, and its, its purpose is an alignment with the universe. And when we begin to realize that, we can align our purposes with the greater purpose of our planet and the cosmos. And we know that when just what you were talking about starts happening, that we're in alignment. So I think that I would, I would want us to know that we are how many billions of years of evolution of being able to co-create with the universe we now have that capacity and we've sort of thrown it aside for the last several centuries. And now we need to pick that up and realize we are co-creators in the universe. And every thought, everything we say ripples throughout the whole universe. We know that now. We are, we are powerful beings. And if we would allow that power to be guided by the heart, we can do anything. And we can do anything together. Amen. <laughs> oh, Betty, I can't thank you enough for being a part of the ethical evolution. Thank you. Well, I'm so glad to meet you and know what you're doing and hear about it. It's wonderful. And I just wish you the best success in the world. Thank which you. Which you will have. I will. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution Podcast. If you're an ethical business owner, change maker or holistic healer who's determined to make a change in the world and you need support to spread your message, visit ethicalchangeagency.com to collaborate.
Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Electric acid.